0: hungry hearts in this place today. Hungry for God, hungry for Him to do what He wants to do. Amen? And not just hungry hearts, open hearts. Hearts willing to humble themselves before the Lord. Hearts willing to be the vessel that He wants them to be. Hallelujah. I've said this before, but I'm going to say it again. How many of you know some things it's good to it's good to repeat? Besides that, for those of you who've heard, it again, heard me say this before, and I'm sure you're hearing other people say this, it's good to hear it again. For those of you who haven't heard me say it before, you need to hear this. We're living in a very, very significant time period. And if that hasn't dawned on you yet, I really pray it does soon. I don't know about you, but I think we're, we're heading for the, toward the finish line. I think, you know, when you Christian life is compared to a race, and, and we each have our own individual race. But, uh, and, and, you know, that's God's call for your life, and, and people run their race no matter what generation they're in. But I think, I think in the bigger race of things, we've turned a corner, and the finish line's in sight. And I honestly, I really don't just believe that's talk. I believe the Spirit of God is saying to more and more people. Do you know, do you know that? Do you know that? Um, when when a king comes, you announce the arrival of a king, don't you? And um, you know, even even before Jesus came the first time, and I know, you know, he was born in a manger. He wasn't recognized as a king, but. Uh, God sent John the Baptist, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. And, and he, he, was, he was that herald speaking out in advance of the, the coming of the king. Well, I, I don't I don't see why it's gonna be any different in our day. Before the king comes, someone there's there's someone announcing it, but except it's not just one person, it's many. And, and it's not one just one individual. It's, it's the whole voice of us crying out, prepare the way of the Lord. And it's the Holy Spirit in our hearts who is who's stirring our hearts and, and showing us things to come. Is it true that, that the Holy Spirit will show you things to come? Does He only show it to certain people? Is it only specially gifted people that can hear what the Spirit of God is saying? No. You know, yes, I understand there's different graces in the church. I understand we've got different purposes, and, and, and we've got different gifts that God gives us. But if you're a believer, you, we all have the Holy Spirit living on the inside of us, and we should all be hearing what He's saying. You know, it's quite something when, when the Holy Spirit talks to you. How many of you have ever had the Holy Spirit show you something? And, you know, people, people sometimes say, well, how do I hear the voice of God? Well, part of the problem is you're looking for a voice. How do you hear the voice of God? He leads in more ways than just a voice. See, if you focused on hearing a voice, sometimes you know the enemy can accommodate with voices. That's why you've got to judge things that you get. But the Bible talks about the witness, the inner witness of the Spirit, the knowing on the inside, and something rising up on the inside, and you know it's coming from Him, not just from your head. It's not always a voice. But, you know, it's one thing. When the Spirit of God shows you something. How, again, how many of anyone here, anyone, yeah, the Spirit of God showed you something in your life and for your life and stirred something? Maybe he's stirred something about, about the scriptures to, for you or he's spoken into your life. That's amazing, isn't it? It's amazing. I, and I'm sure we most and hopefully all of us have experienced the Holy Spirit. If you haven't, you can. First of all, if you are a Christian, if you've never experienced the Holy Spirit leading and guiding you, then they, 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 then talk to talk to me, talk to us. We'll we'll help you to understand how to how to get more sensitive and how to get in position. It's not that difficult. It's not some advanced course you need. He he, he comes to live on the inside of every believer. It's just sometimes we're dull of hearing. We're not necessarily sensitive and in tune with him. But, and, and if you're not a Christian and you don't have the Holy Spirit living on the inside of you, we, we, we're more than happy to pray with you. And you can receive Jesus. You can have the Holy Spirit on the inside of you, too. And you can come join, join the family, join the kingdom of God, and be ready for the king when he returns. And we're, by the king, I mean King Jesus. Amen? King Jesus. <laughs> yeah, well. But uh, it's one thing when the Holy Spirit shows you as an individual something. And that's good. And, we, and many, many people said, yes, it's exciting. But, you know, it's incredible when he begins to show people across the planet the same things. That's remarkable. Have any of you ever seen that quite like that before? To to the degree we're seeing it today. You're hearing people in different parts of the planet, different places, not even ever had any contact with each other. And they're saying the same things about where we are in the body of Christ and what God's doing. And and, and that, that, that voice is beginning to speak in unison. And, it's, it, 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 it's, it, and more and more people are, are, are tapping in and realizing it. I think, I think some people maybe have, or, uh, you know, maybe some people are disconnecting a little bit and they're thinking, well, you know, we've been talking about a revival for a year now. Where is it? Oh, maybe it's not happening. Let's get back on with life. Don't, don't, don't do that. Don't do that. See, when the Spirit of God begins to stir some things, tap in. And 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 you know why? Is it, someone says, "Why is it taking so long?" You know, he began to talk about his revival. I don't know. I'm, I'm saying year randomly, year two, three years, whatever. You know, why is it taking so long? I'll tell you. There's a few factors as to why it's taking so long. Part of it's because this revival is 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 going to be the biggest you've ever seen, and there's preparation taking place. Now there's been preparation taking place for decades. God's been getting the body of Christ into a position. But there is some final preparation happening, and, 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 and in, in the last year, two years, he's been doing final preparations, but you see, and, and you know, if you look through history, sometimes we, we, we like to call revivals after the place that it broke out, like, you know, the Azusa Street revival, or the, or the, I don't know, so-and-so place revival, or this place revival, or we name it after a person or a place. and. And because some great revival broke out in a single church and it just moved and, and moved, you know, and spread like wildfire across the country, God touched lives. And praise God for what's happened in days and generations gone by. But I want to tell you something. I, you know, I'll say this, and I'm willing. I'm willing to be corrected if I got it wrong. If I got it wrong, you come and you tell me in a few years you got it wrong. I'll say sorry. Okay. But yeah. Okay. You, you, I'm, 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 but I don't think this is going to break out in one place. I, I, I don't think this is just going to break out. You know, someone says, well, we've had a prophecy that the revival's going to start in London. And I talk to someone else, and they, we've had a prophecy saying the revival's going to start in Birmingham. You talk to someone else, oh, we had a prophecy saying the revival's going to start in Manchester. And you sit, you, you sit and think, either none of them are hearing from God, or maybe one of them is. Or well, maybe they all are. Who said it's starting in one place? It can break out in 40, 50, 60, 100 places at the same time. Even the same nights, it can just break out. God, you, you understand that? This is not going to be like anything you've ever seen or read in a history book before. We're, we're, we're in the most exciting generation that has ever walked on the face of this earth in terms of the things of God. Now, you might look around in the world, and you might think it doesn't look too exciting in the world, but you know, the Bible's always told us that it's not going to be good in the world around the end. That's why the Bible says, we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. Because we walk by faith, not by sight. The people of God, we're supposed to have our eyes on something different. If you're being pulled down by what you see in the world, you're looking at the wrong thing. This is why I've preached in, 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 in you know, months and years gone by, preached about you know, don't get focused on wars and all these kind of things because Jesus didn't say that you know, you, when these things begin to happen, you'll see these different things happen. He did not say get discouraged and get afraid and panic and start to get all down about what's going on around you. The Bible doesn't say it. It said lift up your eyes when these things, because your redemption is drawing there. It's a good time in the body of Christ. Just because it's a bad time in the world doesn't mean, doesn't mean we've got to go down with it. We ain't going down with it. Because God's stirring some things. He's getting, he's bringing, he, he, and like I said, I believe, I believe the, the stirring and the waves of revival have even begun already in this nation. You might not have noticed. You might not have seen it yet. Some people were praying for it, but I, I believe there's already a, a stirring of a storm surge, like I spoke out in praise and worship there, um, already happening. But you see, but, but you see, don't, 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 don't get your, don't get your eyes off the things of God and back onto the natural world because you're thinking, well, you know, we've been talking about revival now for a year or two or three in my church and it doesn't seem to be happening, so maybe we missed it. No, no, don't, don't do it. Don't, don't do that. Pay, pay close attention to what the Spirit of God is saying because He is preparing something incredibly massive. And because of that, it, it, it takes getting a lot of different parts into position. And there's some people who were not quite in position that he need, he, he's been dealing and saying, get in position, get in position. And he's moving bits around and, 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 and getting something ready to really move on a, on a large scale that's going to sweep the planet. <laughs> Amen. I believe we're going to see backsliders come back. I, I believe we're going to see some of those family members you've been praying for going to come, come going to come bow their knees unto the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and some of those, some of those family members that turned their back on the Lord twenty years ago, and you never, you thought they'll never come back. They're so hard-hearted against God. Some of them are going to come back, and let's believe for all of them. Let's just believe for the whole lot of them back. But, 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 but things th- th- you see, there's there's a big stirring taking place. And, and it's getting ready for an incredibly massive move of the Spirit of God beyond what your mind and imagination has ever dreamed possible. You read things in the books about revivals gone by and what God has done in previous generations. And I, honestly, you need to realize this. You ain't seen nothing. There, those, none of those can, can, can come close to describe what God is doing and is, and, and, and what we're going to walk in. Some of you think, you know, I wish I could go and talk to Peter and say, what was it like, you know, walking on the on the earth with Jesus? And what was it like, you know, walking down the street and people just getting healed in your shadow? What was it like being in the present in the day of Pentecost? Some of you might think, oh, man, I wish I could talk to, you know, Smith Wigglesworth or John G. Lake or, 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 or Finney or such and such revivalist or Evan Roberts or... Or John Wesley. I wish I could talk to you know Martin Luther. What uh, about what was it like in your generation? I want to tell you something. When we when we get into when we get around them, you, you know we're going to get around them one day, yeah. They're not gone and done. Gone, gone and done with it. They're just with the Lord to be present. To be to be present with the Lord is ab- uh, an absent from the body. It's gain. Amen. To be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. That's the one I was looking for. Got that the wrong way around. But but that you're not going to run into heaven or run in you know where, where, whether we meet them on the air if you still whatever you know you, when you see them and you go running up to them you're not going to go "Wow, what was it like what was it like they're going to be coming running to you saying what was it like being right on the air, right there at the end what was that like they they're going to come running to you think you're the generation that was prophesied over through through thousands of years. A generation that saw the fulfillment of so much that God had spoken. And see, God, God, God reserves the best to last. He reserves the, 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 the greatest upbringing. There's some people that still think the church is just gonna get more and more desperate and gonna get weaker and smaller, and we're gonna struggle along and and, and get smaller and less and less and less and, and more defeated. <clears throat> and the enemy is going to become a bigger and bigger monster, and the church is going to run and run hard more in the cowering, cowering cower in the shadows. And then one day Jesus is just going to come and say, Come on, come, come, guys, quickly sneak out. Quick, quick, quick. Let's get you out of here. Quickly, before the enemy comes, let's get you out of here. There's people who think that. They think Jesus is coming back for a struggling, defeated church. Well, I don't know what Bible they read, but it's certainly not the word of God because he's coming back for a glorious church. He's coming back for a church that is walking in the victory. He's coming back for a church that is that, that is that is gotten on top of some things and many things. You know, again, the, the the Bible says the last enemy to be put under foot is death. Anyone ever heard that phrase in in scripture? The the last enemy, and 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 and, and Paul, when he writes that, indicates that 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 kind of. The, the, the moment that lost enemy is putting putting uh, put into place, put under foot, is kind of the moment of the return of Jesus. It's kind of that's the that's the final thing, yeah. In other words, Jesus doesn't come back, kind of before that. It's 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 part of the same process as Jesus came. That lost enemy to be put under foot. How many of you are you looking forward to that day? I mean, the Bible says. You know, those of us that are remain, alive and remain will be caught up together with him in the air. Uh, you know, wh- whether you're coming coming with, whether whichever direction, you know, whether we're caught up, whichever, it's still going to be an amazing time. I certainly, I want, I want, I want to be on the earth when that happens. Don't you? I mean, that's just, you know, I, I, you know, wh- whichever, I don't mind. But 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 kind of like Lord, if I can put requests in, I'd really like to be in that group. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway. But I was saying this, that, that Paul said, the last enemy to be put underfoot. I was reading that one day. I never heard anyone preach this. I was reading that one day, and I thought to myself, see, this is, I believe it was the Spirit of God pointing something out, and I was studying some things, and the Spirit of God pointed out, and, and, and just suddenly, you know, it, my eyes were opened up, and I thought to myself, the last enemy. The last enemy. Okay. This is the last chair in this row, yeah? Now if this was the only chair in this row I wouldn't say this is the last chair I'd say this is the only chair Yeah The only enemy to be put under foot is death right at the final moment Is that what the Bible says and say the only enemy is the last enemy So it says the last enemy to be put under foot Well that, if it's the last one, it means there's no more afterwards, yeah? There's no more enemies after that. Some of you might have heard me say this before, but again, we'll say it again. I'll get, I've got some stuff I want to teach on specifically today. This is just a bit extra before we get going in the main message. Is that all right with you? Yeah. The last enemy means there's no more enemies after that, yeah? If this is the last chair, there's no more chairs afterwards. Now, it, 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 that means this is the final one. But what if you go that way? This is the second last one, third last one. So I thought to myself, as I was was thinking about that, the last enemy to be put underfoot is death. I thought to myself, what about the second last enemy? When was that put underfoot? Does the Bible say the second last, third last, and all the other enemies will be put underfoot when Jesus comes? It doesn't say that. It says the last enemy to be put underfoot is death, and that'll happen. In that final moment, yeah? It's going to be a glorious moment. I don't really care what your doctrine is about, rapture, pre, post. You know, you know people say, are, are, you, are we going post, pre, mid-tribulation? I'm like, there's only seven years difference in it. Is it really worth that arguing? Arguing over whether you think we're going, on somebody, oh, I don't believe in the rapture, I just believe in the return of Jesus. Who really cares? We fought major wars over a seven-year period of time. I remember seven years ago. Pff, like it was that. Seven years can go fast. Yeah, is it really? Well? You know, so so. You don't get up on a big fuss about. You know, do you believe pre, post, mid, or no rapture? I don't really care. What I do know is the Bible says in the twinkling of an eye. <laughs> in the twin, how how quick is the twinkling of an eye? And what's going to happen in the twinkling of an eye? Those of us who are alive and remain. But what's going to happen just before those of us who are alive and remain are caught up together with the Lord in the air? What's going to happen just before that? The Bible says the, 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 the ones that, 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 that had gone before, the ones that died, yeah? What's going to happen with them? In, in the, how quickly? I know I've preached this here before, but I'll say it again anyway because you guys got to get stirred up about this a bit more. In the twinkling of an eye, mass resurrection across the planet... Not just one person being raised from the dead. You're talking about every, every Christian that's ever died since, 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 since day one. <laughs> Amen? You know, that's 2,000 years worth of believers. The blink of an eye, raised, and then the rest of us all go. That's, and how, that miracle just happens in the blink of an eye like that. That's a, that just shows you how powerful God is. We, we think it's hard for God to kill a cancer or, or, or to, to stop saying, you you wait until we see a planet-wide resurrection of every Christian who's ever died, plus every Christian who's currently alive on the planet, all caught up together with him, all in the blink of an eye. Gone like that. Yeah? Anyway, that's what I was saying. The last enemy. So, what happened to the second last enemy? The implication is, if the last enemy to be put underfoot... Is death and that's put underfoot right at there at the return of Jesus. That means that means death completely we get a resurrection, glorified body, mortal body. What happened to the enemies before that? Because last enemy implies there were more, doesn't it? it doesn't say the only enemy it says the last. That implies there were other enemies. Where did those ones got beaten? Who beat those ones? Who put those ones underfoot? You know, when Jesus returns. The last one. Now, Jesus legally beat them all at the cross. But experientially, many of us are still not walking in a lot of that victory. Have many of us stepped into the fullness and, and received everything. And we might have received our salvation. But you see, your life, you're supposed to be laying hold of more and more and more of what Jesus has already purchased for you and provided for you. He provided it in the cross, but we've got to walk it out and receive it in our own individual lives. And sometimes we have a bit of a struggle with a certain enemy. Maybe it takes a few years longer than it should do <laughs> to beat him. I get discouraged about that. They, don't, they don't say, oh Lord, when's it going to happen? When's it going to happen? Just, just keep standing on the word. And you dig in your heels in the ground and say, I'm going to beat this one. But, but you see, the last enemy will be put underfoot. <clears throat> Some of you still not seeing this. The last enemy will be put underfoot. That means experientially... Jesus already defeated death at the cross, but this, when it says the last enemy will be put underfoot, that means we actually walk in and step into the fullness of that victory and our bodies become glorified. Yeah? So just think this through. If the last enemy gets put underfoot when Jesus returns, when did the other ones get, is it after Jesus returns? Is God backwards? Does he say the last enemy to be put underfoot will be death, and it'll happen at the return of Jesus. And then the second last one will happen after that, and then the third last one will be beaten after that. So that So You'd think, God, you must be a bit confused, because if you said the last enemy, and you meant this lo- all the others are going to happen after that, what you should have seen, God, was the first enemy that will be put underfoot will be death, and that'll happen at the return of Jesus. It's not what he said. What did he say? The last enemy to be put underfoot... So my question again, what happened to all the other ones? By who? Still not getting it. Jesus beat them at the cross. Who's who's still trying to receive and walk in that victory? We are. So, let's do this again. If the last enemy that will be put underfoot is death, glorifying of our bodies, we step into the glorified body, What happened to all the other ones? By who? Still not getting us. Keep saying Jesus. Jesus. Guys, Jesus beat them all at the cross. Thank you. We're the ones not yet walking in the fullness of the victory. He's not coming back for a church that's still walking in defeat, even though he purchased victory for you. He's coming back for a church that has gotten on top of each thing. Sickness. Yeah, we sorted that one out in the body of Christ. We're all healed now. Poverty. Yeah, we sorted that one out in the body of Christ. We're all walking in the, the blessing of God. Defeat. Yeah, we sorted that one out in the body of Christ. We've, we have we, we, we beat that one. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. This, the church, we're beating one enemy at a time. We're taking them down. One enemy. Jesus beat them. We're walking in that. Do you see the difference? Experientially, One down, next one down, next one down, next one down, next one down, oh, there's only one left. Church walking in victory over the whole lot of them. Body of Christ, walking in what Jesus has given us. Till suddenly we look and say, there's only one more thing to happen around here and that's the glorification of our bodies. Suddenly we realize, Jesus is about to come. twinkling of an eye. Do you see what I'm saying? If the last enemy to be put underfoot is death, and that's going to happen at the return of Jesus, that means all of the the other ones are beaten by them. Not just legally at the cross, but experientially in our lives. You know, the Bible says to him who overcomes, I will give. Well, didn't Jesus make us overcomers? Well, if he made us overcomers, then why would he say to him who overcomes? Because you have to walk out the overcoming that he gave you. We gotta learn to appropriate it. Do you know? This is not what I was gonna preach today, but but well, it is what I was gonna preach today. I just didn't know that. <laughs> he knew that's what I was gonna preach today. The children of Israel. See, the Bible, the Bible points us to certain things to look at. I've learned this. You need to look where God points you, not just look at what you want to look at. Yeah? And it's like that with your Bible reading. See, we're obsessed with looking where we want to look in the Bible. Where did the dinosaurs come from? Can anyone find a scripture where the dinosaurs came from? Can you show me where Paul said, your mission is to find the scripture where the dinosaurs came from? There's no way we told to do that, yeah? Now, there might be a little bit of interest to tickle your ears and scratch your attention, but you know what? As you read the New Testament, you'll find that Paul keeps talking about a guy called Abraham. In the New Testament, he says, this Abraham guy, go check him out, his faith. Go look at his faith. Go, go look at him, yeah? And he keeps pointing us to that period of time. What, 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 what's the hint? If Paul keeps referring to Abraham, what is the hint he's trying to give us? Go look at Abraham. There's something about him to learn from. So what do we do? We go look at the book of Numbers for something that tickles our attention. (laughs) Get distracted. And, and, And half the time we still haven't got a hold of what he's trying to show us about Abraham. But not only that. There's another, there's another period of time in the Bible that's referred to a lot, especially in the New Testament, that we, is, we keep getting pointed to. Multiple references in the New Testament point us back to Israel, Israel's time in the wilderness, and then they're going into the promised land. Hebrews 3, 4, two chapters dedicated to that. Corinthians 10, other places in the New Testament. It keeps saying there's something about that period of time I want you to see. Yeah? And why does he keep pointing us to that period of time in the, in the Old Testament? And yes, read the, old, read, read the whole Bible, study, you know, study different things. But you really need to get a hold of the periods of time he points you to. These are specifics that there's things he wants us to learn from. If he refers to it multiple times in the New Testament, it's because there's something in there he wants us to see. Now, the children of Israel... In the wilderness, they had the move of God. They had the miraculous. They, I mean, they had the glory of God, but they were still in the wilderness. They couldn't get out of the wilderness. They, no matter how many miracles they had, they had, they had one of the most anointed ministers in the Bible, Moses. I mean, how many of you think that there are many people in the, in the Bible more anointed than Moses was? not many they had they had moses they had no curse on them remember when ba- balak and Balaam tried to curse them and and he said i can't curse him god is blessed he's talking about the bunch on the in the wilderness they were blessed they had one of the most anointed leaders in history <laughs> Oh, so much my, my pastor's more anointed than him. Well, how many Red Seas has your pastor split? <laughs> how many, you know? <laughs> okay. Okay. okay, anyway. There's no curse on this nation. They had one of the most anointed ministers in the Bible. Guy walked face to face with God. Did they, did they have any shortage of miracles happening in the wilderness? And they woke up every, you know, the manor on the ground. Every day they had a miracle. They woke up and there's manor on the ground, 40 years' worth of food just lying on the ground, well, not all at once, but for 40 years. I, do, I mean, that, that is a sustained miracle for 40 years. They had the miraculous all over them you came to them and said, oh, we had a powerful church meeting last night. We felt the presence of God. They'd go, <laughs> you, you what? So you felt the presence of God? We saw the presence of God. We saw the whole mountain shake. They I mean you felt the presence of God. We woke up this morning. There was food lying all over my garden. It just appeared there. You felt the presence of God? They would think, what planet are you on? Okay. We get excited because we feel a goose pimple. I'm not mocking, but actually I am. Because we, we are way below the level on our expectation of what God can do. We get excited by a goosebubble. Yeah, okay, yeah, get excited about a goosebubble. I, I mean, it's not any sense, the presence of God. But God can do so much more. But our faith level and our expectancy for what God can actually do is so low half the time. Anyway, so they had the miraculous. They woke up and they, they got up in the tent. They look at the manor on the ground. The whole floor is covered in food. They look out their tent. They go, at, oh, look, there's the glory of God. It's just, just visibly present on the tabernacle. It just, just float around the desert with them, the pillar by fire, and cloud, cloud, you know. They visibly saw the glory of God for 40 years. But, but, that, but with, despite all that they had, People say, oh, if only we had Jesus here present, I, I'd get my healing. No, if you can't get it without him present, you wouldn't get it with him present. Because the Holy Spirit's on the inside. The same power is available. It doesn't suddenly become easier just because you see lots. That whole generation saw the glory. They saw manna on the ground. They saw water coming out of rocks. They, this is the generation that walked through the Red Sea. They watched that sea split after Moses. They saw the manifestation of the power of God. Very few generations have seen what they saw. And they were blessed. Balak couldn't curse them. There was no ble- They had the anointed leadership of Moses. They got, you talk about, we have the Bible, which you has know, been translated over 2,000 years. They got the original copy straight from the mountain. <laughs> you know? And yet... That generation couldn't get in the promised land. Why? Yeah. Well, what was the core problem? Why couldn't they get in, in, in the promised land? Well, was it because they didn't have an anointed pastor in their church? <laughs> no, they had a pa- Was it because there was a curse on their church? No, no curse on them. They were blessed. They had an anointed pastor who flowed in the glory like no other minister has ever flowed, oddly. Was it because it was a dry church where the Holy Spirit and the glory of God didn't move? No, no, the glory of God was flowing daily. And yet they couldn't step out of the the, the wilderness into the promised land. Do you see the problem here? Oh, if only we had this, if only we had this, if only Jesus just appeared here, we'd all just get healed. The generation that had literally everything couldn't even cross one line from a wilderness into a promised land. You want to know why? It's summed up in their unbelief, but let's think about what's going on. They were used to God giving them everything. They were used to, I can complain, I can moan, I don't have to get my spiritual life right, I can run around and sin, I can do anything I want, and then all I do is cry, and God will say, oh, here's a miracle, here's a miracle, I know you're crying, here's a miracle for you, and then we could go on, and we could cry, and we could do what we like, we can ignore God, we can ignore his word we don't have to be serious about god and then we had another problem oh god help me because oh here's another miracle for you you know what happened they they learned to live by just being everything just being handed to them and and they didn't have to do it it didn't matter if they cried it didn't matter if they complained from their perspective didn't it didn't matter be doers of the word. <laughs> My pastor can be a doer of the word, but you know, it doesn't matter if I'm not a doer of the word. If I need a miracle, I'll just call the anointed Moses. Moses, need a miracle down here, tent number 7496. Send, that, send some guys down, we well, want a miracle now. We're in the middle of parting. Don't talk to us about prayer. Don't talk to us about the word or being doers of the law. Just come here and do a miracle for us. just give it all to us it doesn't really matter god'll just give it all to us no matter what we do then there came a day where they stood on the verge of the promised land and god said now you got to do something you got to take some responsibility what did they do they ran back into their tents c- crying you got to read numbers 13, 14 they just ran oh rah! and then went moaning and complaining and they fully thought that god was going to say Oh, no, 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 please, 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 it's all right. It's all right, I'll just take you in, I'll just take you in. They thought God was just going to do it all for them. And they, they, got, they came to a rude awakening. So they realized that only works in the wilderness. People who want to enter in have to learn a different way. You can get miracles handed to you on a plate. You can have someone else do your praying for you. You can have someone else do your, get your healing for you. Just phone up. Oh, get the anointed guy. He'll get my healing for me. While you just don't do it. Be a doer of the word. Don't live by the word. Don't put into practice learning how to believe God for your things. But you know what? When the dust settles, you're still in the wilderness. There's one line that it takes a different approach to cross. They had to do it differently that time. And it was the final line. You might not realize this, this is very significant for the church, because we are right by the final line. Many people just think God's going to just do a revival like he's always done it. That happened in the wilderness. But there was something on them this time to cross that line. God said, I will take you right through the wilderness. I'll do it all for you. I'll get you all the way up to the verge of the promised land, doing it your way. But there's one line you are not crossing until you do it my way. You want to keep doing it your way? God says, fine, go back into the wilderness, because in the wilderness, you do it your way. And they continue doing it their way, and they'll die in the wilderness. Until a new generation arose who were going to do it God's way. Joshua's bunch. They had to be willing to do their part. Be doers of the word. Put the word into practice. Live by the word. Me do some praying for a change instead of waiting, letting my pastor do all the praying for me. Me learn how to get my healing, instead of somebody else just handing it to me on a plate. This is where we're at right now. God's shown us through the last few decades and even 300 years what is possible. But he's looking for a generation that'll arise, that'll be line crossing, finish line, get to the end, push through. And that final line from the wilderness into the promised land takes a different approach. It's so why many people think revival is just going to happen in our generation the same way it's happened in previous generations. And we'll, we, you know, we don't have to do much and God will just pour out a revival. But you know, this time he's calling people, you start doing your part. Get in position. He's looking for people who become people of faith, people of the word, people who walk in the spirit and who are in position, ready to be doers and ready to do something different to what's done, been done previously so he can take us across the final line. And let me, just, let me just say this. I ain't going to be the Joshua and Caleb waiting another 40 years for the rest of you because you don't get your act together. <laughs> I, I said that sternly, but I'm, I'm teasing, yeah? Let's not, let's not be the generation that dilly-dallies and doesn't do it, what God's trying to say. Many that are still dilly-dallying, they're not pulling it together, and the Spirit of God is trying, is drawing people, trying to say, I've shown you how to do this. How do you do it? Oh, it's all right. We've got another two hours. <laughs> I was checking out enough time to do, to do what I want to say to you. There's one thing God has been looking for since day one. In humans, from us, even with Adam, how how many miracles did Adam see? Any miracles recorded? I mean, okay, yeah, there's some, you know, some some powerful events like the, you know, the flaming sword and stuff like that, you know. But I mean, do you have loads of the miraculous recorded with Adam and Eve? No, and believe me. I've, I've just spent the last two or three years teaching loads on the miraculous. I believe in the miraculous and the manifestation of the paragon. I believe we're on a big scale. I believe we ain't even come near what's possible. Yeah? Like I tried to describe a few minutes ago. Can you, imagine, can you imagine being one of Jesus' disciples when Jesus has been raised from the dead? They've all seen him. They're sitting talking to him on the mount, and he goes, you know, just one thing before I go. And he gives them some final commission about go to the city of Jerusalem. They go, okay. And then suddenly he just lifts off the ground, right in front of their very eyes. And we read that. Can you imagine that kind of miraculous? Can you just imagine just watching somebody? I'm not talking levitation here for for, for three. I'm talking about they just watch him go up and up and up. He's up in the cloud. Oh, oh, can you still see him? Oh, there he is. There he is, right up there. He didn't have a jetpack on. It's the manifestation of the power of God. Just, he just ascends up into heaven right in front of their very eyes. I believe in the miraculous. These kind of things happen. There's no fiction. And while they're all looking up, hey Peter, do you still see him? Yeah, yeah, I can still see him. he's going up behind the clouds. Oh no, he, he, oh no. Can anyone see him? No, he's gone. He's gone. And then suddenly someone behind them says, The same Jesus. He came this way. You'll see him come again, the clouds. They go, Who said that? Suddenly, there it is. Hold on. There were 12, I mean, however many, you know, 11 of, I don't know what the numbers were. And suddenly there's two extra guys standing there, just paired out of nowhere. Who were they? The angels. How would you, how do you like to just be preaching out suddenly, and just suddenly a couple of extra people just appear on the seat here? Run from, all of you see it, just, that kind of stuff happened in the Bible, that's the miraculous, yeah? The, the manifestation of what God can do. So, so so, please please don't get angry with me if I say, we ain't come close to the level of the miraculous. A lot of Christians are still trying to learn how to get healed from a headache. <laughs> and please, start where you're at. I've got, to, I've got to be loving. Start where you're at. Get that victory over the headache. Let's do it. But you know what? There's a lot more available too, okay? But I said all of that to say this. Adam, a- a- Adam and Eve, not much about the miraculous with them in the Garden of Eden, is there? You know, you, you know what? You know what God was looking for in Adam and Eve? Let me give you a clue. He's, he was looking for the same thing he, he's been looking for throughout the Bible, and he is still looking for right now, today, from you. How many, how many of you would... I mean, Jesus gave us a lot, didn't he? Jesus gave us everything. How many of you have ever said, Lord, I give you my heart? Okay. Lord, you can have my everything. Thank you for all you've done for me. I'll give you my everything. How, you know, how many of you have ever thought, what can I really give God? Actually, there's something you can give him. You can give him what he's always been looking for. Someone immediately says he's looking for worshipers. Well, yeah, yes, okay, yes, I know there's John 4. I'm gonna show you something else he's looking for. Ever since, ever since the book of Genesis, and he's still looking for. You know what? All he needed and was looking for from Adam and Eve, can anyone guess? Was someone who would obey his word. They only had one sentence, and they couldn't get it. (laughs) That's what he was looking for. Someone goes, oh, I thought this was going to be a bigger revelation than that. Is Is that all you're going to say? I'm going to go home now. No, no, get this. You look through the Bible, this is what makes the difference between people who stay in the wilderness and people who cross into the promised land. This is going to be the difference in our generation. This is what God is looking for in our generation right now in terms of the revival and the move of God or what he's trying to do on the earth. This. And I'm going to explain it in a few minutes. So you got Adam. We'll, we'll jump a, a few passages in Scripture. <laughs> we, we literally will be here for the next few hours. Comes to a man called Abraham. Genesis 12. I mean, you've got Noah. Okay, We could look at all of this. What what was God looking for in a man called Noah? A man who would just follow the instruction and obey his word, follow his word. What was he looking for in Abraham? Is Abraham's laugh all about all kinds of miracles? Now, believe me, they did get some miracles. Power of God hit Sarah's body. Resurrection power hit her, according to the New Testament. That was a miracle, Yes. But, but they, they, they didn't, you go and read the passage in Genesis, in Genesis 12, 30 It goes from Genesis 12 up to whatever chapter. It's quite a few chapters of Abraham's life. And, you, you know, you count how many miracles there are in that. And you begin to realize, considering it covers a period of, of, you know, from when Abraham's 75 to when he's over 100 when he dies, you got 25, 30 or more years, you realize there's like three, four miracles in there. <laughs> now, they're great miracles, but you realize he wasn't seeing them every day. Yeah. You know what was God God was looking for in Abraham? Man who would walk in his word. That's how that's how God's interaction with Abraham started in Genesis twelve. He came and he spoke to him. Three verses, three sentences or so, yeah? Come out. Go to a land that I'll show you. And step by step Abraham walked in the Word of God. That's why he's pointed to in the New Testament as our example. Faith and obedience to the Word. This is why the enemy wants to stir up doctrines in the church that tell us, Oh, you don't have to it's all by grace, you don't have to obey God. You don't have to obey God. No, no, this has been God's hot cry since day one. Find a people who walk in his word. Let's, let's jump forward a little bit in, his, uh, in history. Go from We've done Abraham, a little bit on Noah. We've done, uh, sorry, we did Adam and Eve, a little bit on Noah, done Abraham. Then, 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 then we get to, um, let, let's get to the period of time in the wilderness. What's the one thing, you said it, unbelief, but let's look at what this. I said I'm looking at this a bit deeper. What was it, how did their unbelief show up? What could he just not get this group to do? Obey his word. That was the problem with that group. And actually that is what Hebrews chapter 3 and chapter 4 is about. It starts in Hebrews chapter 3. It talks about, it tells us, when you've heard the the Holy Spirit, do not be like them in the the rebellion in the wilderness. And they harden their hearts to what, what God had said. And it starts in Hebrews 3, and it goes all through the start of Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1. It's one flowing teaching, and it goes into talking about mixing faith with the word you've heard. Let us not fall short like they fell short. How did they fall short? What, did they lack miracles? Did they lack the glory of God? Did they lack anointed ministers? No, they didn't fall short in that area. They fell short in one area. They simply couldn't obey the word of God. Couldn't walk in the word. And it leads all the way up to to one of our well-known verses, Hebrews 3, Hebrews 4. It's one teaching It goes all the way up to where it says, Hebrews 4, 16, for the word of God is alive, quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. These are not disconnected passages. It's one teaching, Hebrews 3 and 4, showing us that is what God's looking for. He's always been looking for that. Why do you, what do you think the wilderness was all about? Why did they why did they even go into the wilderness? The answer is found in Deuteronomy 8, verse 1, 2, and 3. You can look it up in your own time. But Deuteronomy, in fact, go there. I want, I want you to see this. Deuteronomy chapter 8. Someone says, I thought I was going to get prophesied over coming to this meeting. It's all right. You know, I'm open. I don't have a problem with prophecy. But you know what? It, it, people just go to meetings to have someone else prophesy over there. They go to meetings to have someone else lay hands on. I don't have a problem. If the Spirit of God leads me to prophesy, Spirit of, I, I believe in the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. But we have raised up a generation who wants someone else to do it all for me. You hear God for me. Whatever happened to those that are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. Whatever happened to hear God for yourself? I can hear God, the Holy Spirit? Do I need someone to prophesy of me to know God's plan for my life? No. Can God prophesy of me if he wants to? But do I need it? No. I can hear God for myself. Do I need someone else to pray for me? Now, can God heal? Does God heal by, by someone else praying for you? Yes, he does. But whatever happened to me learning how to receive my healing for myself? What am I teaching you about? These chairs. last enemy will be put underfoot is death. God's looking, he's not looking for a church that gets everybody else to beat healing, to beat sickness for them. He's looking for a church who know how to walk in his word. So we walk in the victory over sickness in our lives. And every, we, get, we start to put the word into practice and get the victory in each A, a church walking in the word will walk in the power of the Spirit. Did I say to go to Deuteronomy eight? I did, didn't I? Let me get there. It's all right if if you don't like the video, you can tune out. I don't mind. <laughs> Deuteronomy chapter eight, verse one. Every commandment which I command you today. Someone said, Oh yeah, we're not under the law. <laughs> yeah, see, this this has become so enrooted. The New Testament still teaches obedience. To people who are not under the law. (laughs) Obedience of faith. The Bible calls it the obedience of faith. Faith will obey the word. It just doesn't obey it out of obligation, legalistic obligation. But it will still obey the word. Amen? But I want you to capture something. There's revelation in this. God, I'm going to try to do this in the next 10 minutes. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 1, 2, and 3 tells us exactly why they went into the wilderness. There was a purpose for the wilderness. Now, many people in the Bible went into the wilderness, including Jesus. The difference is Jesus stayed there 40 days, Israel stayed there 40 years. Okay? If you do the right thing in the wilderness, you can come out of that wilderness. But... You don't come out of that wilderness until the right thing is done. Many Christians just want God to pluck them up and pull them out of the wilderness in their lives. He's looking for something from us, and it's that which is going to cause you to cross out of the line out of the wilderness into, into the better things God's got for you. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 1. Every commandment which I command you today, you must be careful to observe, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land of which the Lord your God swore to your fathers. Do you see that them possessing the land is connected to them observing the commandments that he gave them? Did God say, I'll just take you into the land anyway? He says, observe the commandments that you may go in and possess the land. Okay, so them them stepping over into the promised land was directly connected to how they responded to God's word. Don't focus on law commandments. We would call it the Word of God because there's there's revelation in this for us. So verse one mentions the word, the commandments. Yeah, verse two, and you shall remember the Lord your God. You shall remember that the Lord your God led you all these, all the way these forty years in the wilderness to humble and test you. Yes, the, the, he just wanted to humble and test them. Just wait, the sentence isn't finished yet. Don't, don't get stuck on that. Finish the sentence to humble and test you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. What was he? Did he just lead them into the wilderness for the sake of humbling them? No, he wanted to see that in a challenge will they act on the word? That's what he was looking for. The test was: will they abandon the word or will they stick to the word? That was the test. Do you see? Verse 1 mentions the word, verse 2 mentions the word. And it tells you exactly why he put them and led them in the wilderness. Don't focus on the humble and testing, that's part of the process, but the end part of that, whether you would keep his commandments or not. That's the key. Verse 3 so he humbled you allowed you to hunger fed you with manna <clears throat> which you did not know nor did your fathers know that he might make you that now listen to this that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone but by every word which proceeds from the mouth of god even verse 3 mentions the word of god those verses show us the purpose of the wilderness was to see where, how they would handle the Word of God, whether they would live by the Word of God, and whether they would take make the Word of God what they depended upon in every situation. Isn't it interesting that the very verse Jesus quoted while he was in the wilderness was an Old Testament passage about why they were in the wilderness? He quoted this during his. Now, what, how did Jesus get out of the wilderness? We all know it, but we just haven't put the pieces of the puzzle together. How did Jesus get out of the wilderness? When the enemy attacked, he, he called up Peter. Pray for me, Peter. Help me. Pray the victory for me. You can do that. I don't. It, it, there's a time we all got to stand together. I don't have a problem about that. But Jesus stood that battle on the word himself. And he learned how to get victory over one en- that one enemy. Next enemy. Next thing, see the word of God put, put into practice in your life will give you the victory in each situation. But so often, it's easier to try to get someone else to do it me. You can get healed by an anointed minister laying hands upon you. Seriously, you can get healed by any believer laying hands upon you, but you can also get healed by getting a hold of the word of God and standing on the Word of God and learning how to walk in the truths of the Word and, and receive the healing that Jesus gave you on the cross. But that takes more effort, and most Christians don't want to do it that way. They want to do it the other way. Now, I know this is a strong message. I didn't intend it to be this strong. Yes, God heals people through anointed ministers. I don't have a problem with that. That is a means He's given us. Yes, you can get prophesied over. It's a means He's given us. But these are all support systems. The central thing he's looking for is a people who learn how to walk in the word. That's not the side issue of what he's looking for, that's the central thing he's looking for. And he is trying to raise up a generation, by the way, we're it, that once and for all will finally step into living by the word. Starting to and that and one by one we'll start getting victory over victory after victory after victory after victory, one enemy down, next enemy down, next enemy down. Until we look and say, Final enemy, Jesus, time for you to come back. How did we do it? By walking in the word. See the the, the, the reason that generation. Hebrews says it was unbelief but if you take a closer look at Hebrews 3 and 4 you'll realize the unbelief was the symptom of the way they were responding to the word. Jesus says to the uh, sorry Jesus God says to them I'm going to feed you. So tomorrow morning go and, go, and, go out and pick up enough food off the ground for one day. Don't pick up two days just pick up one day. What did they do? Picked up two days. I'm sure some of them pocketed three days. Now, if they can't obey him with picking up manor off the ground, what do you think that group would have done at the battle of Jericho? God said, march around the city. <laughs> Anyone ever heard such a stupid strategy? Moses has really missed it this time. I'm saying Moses because if this generation went in. Ah know, we got a better plan. We'll just storm the gates. The whole lot of them would have been wiped out. God couldn't take in a generation into the land who wouldn't obey his word. <coughs> Let's speed this up. You're getting something out of this. This is what God's looking for in the final generation, and this is what we've got to get our act sorted out on. Become a word-based generation. God raises up the next generation with a man called Joshua. Yeah? Now Moses is gone. All of this. What's, what, in Joshua chapter 1, what instruction did God give this new leader, Joshua, who's about to cross from the wilderness into the promised land? The one thing the previous generation could not do. God said, be strong, courageous, but he told them, many of us know the verse, we quote the, many of us in different teachings. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth but you shall meditate there in day and night. What was God saying to Joshua? Joshua, if you want to be the leader that takes this group into the promised land, you better be a man of the word. I asked myself one time, it's all good and well to read that in Joshua 1, but I thought to myself, did Joshua do that? And can I prove it? Can I I see in the scripture whether Joshua became a man of the word? I asked myself that question. And I, so I looked at Joshua's laugh. Well, first of all, he obeyed God with Jericho, the battle. But then they lost the next battle because someone else disobeyed. They lost, the, they lost a little battle of 3,000 3, enemies. They just wiped out Jericho. You can go read this in the Bible yourself. I'm doing this quickly. If you don't know these verses, you know someone can maybe point you to them in scriptures to where they are. But you know what? Joshua gets corrected by God, because he, he Joshua falls on the ground crying, God, why did you let us lose the battle? You know what God said to him? Get up! <laughs> God wasn't interested in Joshua wailing and crying about why they lost the battle. God said to him, get up! And it was a strong get up. Stop wailing on the ground. Someone didn't walk in my word. That's why you lost the battle. Didn't obey what I said. So they fixed it. They got it sorted out. You know what Joshua did next? Before they went to another battle, Joshua sat the whole nation down and read the entire law to them. Now I'm beginning to see, this man was a man of the word. He says, "How do you like your pastor to do that?" Right, guys. We lost one battle this week. The whole lot of you sit down. We're going to read Joshua, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and and, and, first five books. I said it in the wrong order. First five books of the Bible for church today. And yet, moving till we've read all five of them. That's what Joshua did, he sat the whole group of them down and read the entire law to all of them. By that time they had a, quite a lot of it written. So, they, so what did he do? He shifts the whole group back onto the word. They go on, they start winning battles again. They win battle after battle after battle after battle. You go and look at the end of Joshua's life, right at the end of his life when he's giving his final speech, you know what he does? Same thing. He directs them all back to the word. Was Joshua a man of the word? I've done it quickly. I'll tell you this. Yes, he was. He did what God told him to do. That's why he became the leader that crossed from the wilderness into the promised land. Not because he had more miracles than Moses. Moses had the glory. They had all kinds of miracles. Joshua was a man of the word, and he led a generation who were a generation of the word. That enabled things to happen that even the manifest glory through Moses couldn't do, take them into the land. Are you seeing something? What's God always been looking for? Are you right for another five minutes? And I want to give you one more thing. And we could race through scriptures where I could go through other things. Let me say this quickly, and this wasn't what I was about to say, but I'll say this one in. When, when God wanted to deliver you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the light. You know what he did? He sent his word made flesh. All through the pages of the word, we are directed to the word. Now Jesus is the word made flesh, but the word is what God has said as well. It's both. But there's a clue in that. God is trying to show us something by sending his word made flesh. He's pointing us back again to get this revelation. This Is what God's trying to direct people towards. Now, anyway, one final thought, and then I'll close. How many of you know the children of Israel, once they got into the land, were very idolatrous? And and they kept running after Baal, Ashtoreth, whatever other, you know, idolatrous false god you can think of. And they kept walking, you know, this was the the generation, one generation after Joshua's, because in Judges, a generation arose who did not know the Lord. So you've got all through the book of Judges, 300 years, then you've got like the the, the, the reigns of uh, the kings, Saul, David, Solomon, and then you go through a couple more kings. So you've got a period of quite a few hundred years, and there's periods of time they're walking better with God because they've got a good leader, and there's times that they're going back and forth to to idolatry as a nation, yeah? Yeah. Why did they end up in captivity? They got the land because they obeyed God. They lost the land when they couldn't continue, when they they wouldn't walk in his ways. Do you see the clue? Now, listen to this. God had told them you're only supposed to build the temple in one place, didn't he? Where was that to be? So God said you can only build the temple in Jerusalem. Anyone ever noticed when you go into the Gospels, there seems to be places of worship in every town? Jesus in his his own hometown, he goes into the synagogue, teaches. Now hold on, I thought they were only supposed to build the temple in Jerusalem. How come there's there's buildings everywhere now by Jesus' time? Is it because they disobeyed God? No, 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 capture this. Those were synagogues, not temples. Where did the synagogues come from, and what was the purpose of the synagogue? And give you a quick history lesson here. This happens kind of toward toward the end of the time of their captivity. How many of you have ever noticed that in Jesus' generation there was no idolatry? Are they now? Now they might be religious Pharisees, and they must be very legalistic. But where are all the idols? Have you ever noticed? Israel in Jesus' time is completely different to the Israel we see in the Old Testament. No idols, where'd all the idols go? And you've got hundreds of years, they can't stop playing the adulterer, running after Baal, and then suddenly in Jesus' generation, you don't see an idol in sight. How did this nation get completely cleansed from idolatry once and for all? And in fact, they've never gone back to it. Has anyone ever wondered, how did this nation get so, they struggled for hundreds of years to get free from idolatry, and suddenly they're free from idolatry. There's like a little gap in the Bible, 400 years silent yet, and suddenly, oh, where'd all the idols go? No more idols. (laughs) Connected to the synagogues. What did Jesus do when he was in the synagogue? Did he do blood sacrifices in the synagogue? No, because you could only do those in the temple in Jerusalem. The synagogue, one of the one of the primary purposes of the synagogue was a place of reading the word. When Jesus got up to read the scriptures, say, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, they they weren't all looking at each other going, "Was he reading? It never happens here. What's happening? No, no. He did what they always do. He got up to read the scriptures. Where'd that come from? You know what? God had been trying over and over and over and over again for hundreds of years, from the time of Joshua right through the judges, right through all the reigns of the kings. He was trying to raise up a generation again who would walk in the word, and they wouldn't do it. Finally, they lost the land. They they went back into they were taken captivity to like Babylon and stuff. Yeah. Just out of interest, do you know that Babylon? is where God called Abraham out of in the first place. It was what was previously Ur of the Chaldees. They ended up all the way back where Abraham had left, hundreds of years before. I'm taking side journeys here, but I want to give you the main thought. Once they got back, once they got to Babylon, sorry, not back to the land, once they got to Babylon, they realized we need an identity as a nation. We need something to hold on to as a nation to keep us, otherwise we're just going to end up blending into the Babylonians, which is what the Babylonians wanted. Yeah. And they also realize they've realized quite quickly the way we're going to keep an identity as a nation is through our, what we would many would say their religion, their belief system, yeah, in God. They've got to hold on to that. But their whole belief system required blood sacrifices in a temple which was over a thousand miles away and had been destroyed. Yeah? They were supposed to do festivals, feasts, day of atonement, all that. They couldn't do any of it in Babylon. Because God had said you can only do those things in the temple in Jerusalem. (laughs) So they realized this. There's one thing we can do. We can start reading our Bible for a change. (laughs) And that's exactly what they started doing. They started to gather in homes. It was the start of home churches all the way back in the Old Testament. They gathered together in homes not to do blood sacrifices, not to do the festival. They couldn't do most of those because they could only do those in the temple. They started to read the scriptures in groups, and they started to read the scriptures, discuss this. This is where the scribes arose, who were students of the law. This is where Ezra, this is where eventually the Pharisees, the Sadducees arose out of this because they became to get serious about the word of God for a change in their lives. And finally, the word of God did to that nation what nothing had been able to do for hundreds of generations, cleansed them completely free from idolatry. They came out of captivity and never, ever went back to idolatry ever again. Not because there was a big miracle, because they simply became a people of the word. <laughs> you tell me the word's not powerful. It, did, it cleansed them, wiped whop, idolatry off, completely out of that nation. This, and, and that's where the synagogues came from. And, and the big part of the synagogue was, that, was the reading of the scriptures. Why did I tell you all of that? Because it's connected to what I'm trying to say tonight. God is looking and he is still looking for a people who will walk in his word. This is what he is looking for in our generation. If we're going to have a revival, a land-entering revival, not just another wilderness revival, we're going to have a land-entering revival, we're going to cross the line once and for all, cross the finish line, we're going to do it differently to how it's been done before. How it was done before was just God do it, and we you know, doesn't not much required of us. What what's happening now is God is starting to draw people and saying, "I'm looking for some things from you. I'm looking for you to start walking in the Word, you to start using your faith, you to start learning how to get some victories, because you know you can get those victories." But He's looking for a generation walk in the Word, and that generation, I believe, is the generation that usher in the return of Jesus. The Spirit of God stirring our hearts. He's saying, it's time for it. So we better listen. We better pay attention. We better say, okay, God, this is what you're looking for, for in our generation. Let's become a generation that's serious about the Word of God. And at the Word of God, let's give God what he's been looking for since Adam and Eve, the people who will obey and walk in his Word. This is why the Word of God is so important. I believe in prayer. There's a group of us, we pray every day. We pray in tongues online. We have a whole group, you know, you've come to some of them. We pray, we pray. I believe in the power of prayer. But there's a lot of people that are just thinking the power of prayer is going to cause the revival. Okay? And then they, they want to push the Word of God out of their churches. No. We've got to start responding to the Word. Yes, pray, because that's part of acting on the Word is praying. But actually, God's looking for a generation to start acting and walking in the Word of God that will release one of the greatest moves of the Spirit of God this planet has ever seen. Amen? Hallelujah. Let's, let's pray. Father, we want to magnify you. We glorify you. Lord, we, we just give you the praise. We give you the glory. Father God, I just pray that you help us to see this. Help us to see the, 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 the importance of the Word of God in this, at this time in our generation. And the role that you want the Word of God to play in the church, you want a church that comes back to the Word of God and and casts off every remnant of unscriptural tradition once and for all. So we become cleansed of all those things that that, that have held us back in in previous generations so that we become become a Word-based church. And a Word-based church will walk in the miraculous on a higher level. and will walk in the glory of God, I believe. Father God, we want to be that generation. And it starts with each one of us as individuals to start giving the Word of God a greater place in our lives on a daily basis and start to say, just like he said in his Word, meditate in my Word day and night. Start getting in the Word of God. Start to do, just like Israel did, just get in the Word of God. Get in the Word of God more than, more than you've ever gotten into the Word of God because There's even Christians who used to be in the Word of God who've cooled off and they've backed off and they don't spend as much time in the Word of God. But this is something we must return to now in this generation. It's got to happen if we want to be the generation that that finally puts all the enemies underfoot until there's only one more left and Jesus comes back. Amen?